Well, hey everybody, I'm Adam Shell, the pastor at Melbourne Heights, and welcome to our sermon podcast. And in this episode of our podcast, we are starting into a new series of sermons that we're calling No Easy Answers. And throughout this series, we are going to be wrestling with one of life's most difficult questions, a question that we have been asking from the very beginning. We're going to be wrestling with the problem of pain and suffering in our world, and we're going to be asking, where is God when it hurts? But you know what? Asking these difficult questions isn't necessarily something that the church is known for. A lot of times when it comes to difficult subject matters, we prefer to avoid those questions altogether. But in this episode's sermon, we're going to see that we as Christians, as followers of Jesus, have been called to work out our faith with fear and trembling. And that means that we are supposed to wrestle with these difficult questions. So let's dive right into this episode's sermon. So we're going to start out our time together this morning with a little game. And here's how it's going to work. Just a minute, I'm going to ask you a series of math problems. And I want you to try to solve these problems as quickly as you can. If you're worshiping with us in person right now, you can call out your answer as soon as you know it. If you're joining us on Facebook, you can use the comments thread to answer these math problems there. Everybody ready? Don't worry, it's not hard math for the most part. We'll get into it. All right, first question. 2 plus 2 equals? Very good. That wasn't a trick question. 2 plus 2 equals 4. How about 2 minus 2? 2 minus 2 equals 0. What about 10 plus 10? 10 plus 10 equals 20. 10 minus 2. 10 minus 2 equals 8. 10 plus 2 equals 12. How about 12 times 12? 144. That slowed some of you down a little bit more there. All right. How about this one? What's 4 times 36? 144. How about 6 times 24? 144. How about 8 times 16? It's not 144. 8 times 16 is 128. All right, and the last one I've got for you. What's 144 divided by 7? That was a little harder to come up with. Now, you might be able to start solving that problem in your head because you know that 7 times 20 equals 140. So the answer to 144 divided by 7 has to be 20 and some change. But I don't think that there's too many people that are worshiping with us right now, whether you're online or if you're with us here in person, that can solve all of those decimal points in your head. So 144 divided by 7 equals 20.571428, and those numbers just keep on going. Now, I'm aware that we're in a worship service right now and not in a math class, so you might be wondering why we started out our time together by having you answer these math questions. Well, there's a reason for it. I asked you all of these questions to make a point. And that point is that not every question has an easy answer. Not every question has an easy answer. Now, some questions do. Like when I asked you what 2 plus 2 equals, that has a pretty easy answer. We all know that 2 plus 2 equals 4. Or if somebody walked up to you right now and asked you what your phone number is, you could rattle off those 7 or 10 digits, depending on if you include your area code or not, in no time at all. But not every question has an easy answer. When I asked you what 144 divided by 7 is, nobody was able to just rattle off all of those numbers unless you happen to be holding a calculator in your hand. Or no matter 
how many times I've asked different people this, no one has ever been able to tell me how much wood a woodchuck could chuck if a woodchuck could chuck wood. So some questions will remain a mystery. But here's the thing. Just because a question is hard to answer, that doesn't mean that that question isn't worth asking. Or just because a task is difficult to accomplish, that doesn't mean that it's not worth trying. Or just because something isn't easy, that doesn't mean it should be avoided. Just because something isn't easy, that doesn't mean it should be avoided. But unfortunately, those aren't words of wisdom that we in the church always follow. Let me tell you a story that shows you exactly what I mean. Now, this is a story that I first ran across when I was a student in seminary. And even though it's been more than 10 years since the first time I read this story, I still think about this story all the time. And if you've been around Melbourne Heights for a while, you've heard me share this story before. But this is a story that's told by John Swinton, who was the chair of Divinity and Religious Studies at the University of Aberdeen in Scotland. And he shares this story in his book, Raging with Compassion. And as he begins the story, he starts by talking about one of the most horrific acts of violence to ever happen in his home country of Northern Ireland. On August 15, 1998, a terrorist faction calling themselves the Real IRA detonated a bomb in a small town in Northern Ireland that killed 22 innocent, killed 28 innocent people, and it injured or maimed 220 others. As Swinton continues on in his story, he describes the carnage that was seen at the scene that day. And he talks about how that entire experience left him reeling. Because this horrific event happened in his home country. It took place just a few hours from where he was living at the time. So John Swinton and countless other people living across the United Kingdom at the time felt the same way in the aftermath of that bombing that countless people all across America felt in the aftermath of September the 11th. Well, Swinton continues to write, he shares that the next day, August 16th, 1998, was a Sunday, and I'll let him take it from there. He writes, on the next day, a Sunday, I went to worship in our local church. All of these questions were racing around in my mind, but I was a little bit calmer now. And I just wanted to join with the people of God and receive some guidance as to how together we might deal with our confusion, disorientation, and anxiety. I want to stop here for just a minute because I want us to think about everything that has taken place in the story up to this point. On August 15, 1998, one of the most horrific acts of violence in the history of Northern Ireland takes place. On that day, 28 innocent people were killed and 220 other people were maimed or injured when that bomb was detonated. And the next day, August 16, 1998, was a Sunday. And what that means is that on that Sunday morning, countless people from all across Northern Ireland and the rest of the United Kingdom would be coming together into places of worship. And as they walked through the doors of their churches that morning, this horrific act of violence was continuing to weigh on their souls. So as they walked through the doors of their churches that day, they were wrestling with questions that have no easy answers. 
As people walked through the doors of their churches that August morning, they were asking questions like, why did God allow that bomb to go off? Why didn't God stop that bomb from detonating? If God is a God of peace and of love, then why is there so much violence and hatred in our world? Why do bad things happen to good people? Where is God when it hurts? These are questions that countless people all across the United Kingdom were asking when they walked through the doors of their churches that August morning. So how do you think the church that John Swinton attended dealt with those questions that have no easy answers that people were asking when they walked into the church that day? Do you think that the ministerial staff at John Swinton's church got together early that morning, long before the service began, to rework the entire order of worship so that they could address the questions that people would be asking? Do you think that John Swinton's pastor stayed up late the night before rewriting their entire sermon for Sunday morning so that they could preach a message to help people deal with the pain and suffering they were seeing all around them? Do you think the church carved out time during their worship service to pray for the victims of the bombing? Do you think the church spent a little bit of time during their service offering a time of lament for the innocent people who were suffering around them? Then they called out to God in prayer together, wondering how long it will take before we see God's peace in the world and around us. Well, as we turn back to John Swinton's story, we'll see how his church responded that August day. Swinton goes on to write, The first hymns were sung. Nothing was said. We were told to worship to praise the Lord, to lift our hearts and our hands heavenward and appreciate the wonderful things that God has done for us. We did, and still nothing was said. The prayers went by, and we thank God for his great mercy toward us. Nothing was said about the bombing. The sermon was preached. We were instructed to have faith and to be thankful that God was God and that God reached down to love us despite our sinfulness. said. The prayers of intercession came, and they went. Then there's silence. The entire service came and went that morning with no recognition of the tragedy that happened in our country to our own people. The service ended, and I left without saying much to anyone. On that August morning, people all across the United Kingdom we're asking questions that have no easy answer. And at least at one of those churches, the church that John Swinton attended, those questions were avoided all together. Not a single prayer was prayed. Not a single hymn was sung. Not a single sentence in the sermon was preached. Nothing was said about the tragedy at all. On that morning, people were wrestling with some of life's most difficult questions. And at least one church avoided those questions altogether. But you know what? That's not the way that church is supposed to be. That's not the way that church is supposed to be. I've said this before, but it's worth repeating. 
Nothing we do inside of the church matters if it doesn't change the way we live when we're outside the church. Nothing we do inside of the church matters if it doesn't change the way that we live when we are outside of the church. So the church is supposed to be a place that helps us when we face questions that have no easy answers. The church is supposed to be a place that helps us when we're wrestling with life's most difficult questions. The church is not supposed to be a place where we avoid these questions altogether. That's how the church has always been. The church has always been called to help us when we face difficult times. If you'll look with me at our scripture reading for today, which comes from Philippians chapter 2, I can show you what I mean. Philippians is a book that we find inside of the, the New Testament. And like about half the books that we run across inside of the New Testament, the book of Philippians is written by the Apostle Paul. Now, the Apostle Paul is the foremost missionary and theologian of the first century. And it just so happens that Paul probably starts more churches than just about anyone in history. So it's safe for us to say that if it wasn't for Paul and Paul's work, we probably wouldn't be sitting here worshiping together right now. But just because Paul spent most of his life spreading the good news of Jesus, that doesn't mean that Paul's life was always easy. As a matter of fact, when he is writing this letter to the Philippians, Paul is actually in prison. But he writes this letter to the people living in the ancient city of Philippi for a reason. He's writing to them because Paul wants to encourage them as followers of Jesus to live differently than the other people that are living in that city. So in Philippians chapter 2, Paul is going to tell us how we, as followers of Jesus, as Christians, are supposed to live our lives. So we'll start reading in Philippians chapter 2, verse 1, but I really want you to pay attention to verse 12 when we get there. So here's what Paul writes. Paul writes, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves." Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. If your relationships with one another have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, rather he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by being obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him into the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now here's the part that I really want you to listen to. Here's what Paul writes in verse 12. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. 
this is what we as Christians, as followers of Jesus, have always been called to do. We have been called to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. And I know that the Apostle Paul can get a little bit wordy sometimes, and it can be a little confusing, but believe it or not, that's exactly what the conclusion that Paul has been leading the Philippians to throughout the entire passage that we just read. Paul starts out in Philippians chapter 2 by telling the people at Philippi what he has worked out for himself. He starts out by telling them what he believes. So he tells them what he believes that we as followers of Jesus should live our lives like. He tells them that as followers of Jesus, he believes that we need to be of one mind and that we need to put the interest of others ahead of ourselves. And then he goes on to tell the people in Philippi what Paul has worked out, what he has come to believe about who Jesus is. And he says that even though Jesus is God in nature, he believes that Jesus humbled himself to lay down his life for us. The whole point of Philippians chapter 2 really comes down in verse 12. Because in verse 12, Paul says, this is what I have worked out for myself. This is what I have come to believe you don't have to take my word for it. You don't have to take my word for it. You can work out your salvation with fear and trembling. You don't have to settle for my answers just because they are my answers. Even though it's easier to just believe what somebody else tells us to believe. Instead, Paul wants us to know that we need to work out our salvation this means for us is that we, inside of the church, we're supposed to ask the hard questions. We're supposed to wrestle with those questions that don't have easy answers. We're supposed to ask questions about how we as followers of Jesus should live our lives. We should ask questions about what it is that we believe. Or to put it another way, we shouldn't avoid questions that don't have easy answers. We shouldn't avoid questions that don't have easy answers. So, in the weeks leading up to Easter this year at Malvern Heights, we're not going to avoid those questions that don't have easy answers. In the weeks leading up to Easter at Melbourne Heights this year, we are going to be wrestling with one of life's most difficult questions. A question that people have been asking from the beginning. We're going to be wrestling with the problem of pain and suffering. And we're going to be asking, where is God when it hurts? And we're not going to be wrestling with these questions in some abstract or theoretical way. We're going to be wrestling with these questions in a personal way and in a practical way. And we're going to be doing that for a reason. We want to come up with personal and practical answers to the questions of where is God when it hurts? Because these are personal things. We all experience pain and suffering in our lives. We all experience pain and suffering in our lives. We have all attended a funeral for someone that we love. We've all sat by a hospital bedside of a family member or a friend when they were suffering in pain. We have all twisted an ankle. We've all stubbed a toe. We've all bit our own tongues. We've all gotten sick or had the flu. We've all had bad things that have happened to us. We've all experienced So we need a practical way to deal with pain and suffering when it hits us at a personal level. 
So as we draw toward the end of this morning's sermon, I want to give you a scenario for you to think about this week, to start trying to come up with your personal and practical answer to the problem of pain and suffering. And this is a scenario that any of us could find ourselves in. It's a scenario that's explained by Bill Yancey in his book appropriately titled, Where is God When It Hurts? And here's what Philip Yancey writes. It says, One day I received a frantic plea for help from my close friends John and Claudia Claxton. They were newlyweds in their early 20s, and they were just beginning life together in the Midwest. I had watched in amazement as the experience of romantic love had utterly transformed John Claxton. Two years of engagement to Claudia had melted his cynicism and softened his hard edges. He became optimistic, and now his letters were usually bubbling with enthusiasm about his young marriage. But one letter from John alarmed me as soon as I opened it up. There were errors and scratch marks that marred his usually neat handwriting. He explained, excuse my writing, I guess it shows how I'm fumbling for words. I don't know what to say. Claxton's young marriage had run into a roadblock that was far bigger than both of them. Claudia had been diagnosed with Hodgkin's disease, cancer of the lymph glands, and was only given a 50% chance to live. Within weeks, surgeons had cut her from her armpit to her belly, and they had removed every visible trace of the disease. She was left stunned and weak, lying in a hospital bed. Philip Yancey goes on to write, Claudia had hoped that Christian visitors would comfort her by bringing some perspective on what she was going through. So here's the scenario that I want you to imagine this week. I want you to imagine that you are one of Claudia Claxton's friends. I want you to imagine that you are one of those Christian visitors that is going to go and spend some time with her. She's battling Hodgkin's disease in her hospital room. And I want you to think about what words you would speak to Claudia to bring her comfort and to help her keep in perspective everything that she is going through. And I really want you to think about this. I don't want you to just forget about it as soon as you walk out the doors of the church. And I don't want you to just put it aside because this is a hard question to answer, and it's going to make you think about subjects and topics that have no easy responses for us. I want you to wrestle with this question and try to figure out what you would say, because the time will come in your life when you or your family or one of your friends is going to find yourself in that same situation where you are having to respond to this problem of pain and suffering in your life. So spend some time this week thinking about what you would say to Claudia Claxton if you went and visited with her. And when we come back together next Sunday, we'll talk about what Claudia's real-life friends said to her. And we'll learn from the mistakes that they made. But this week, spend time working out your faith with fear and trembling. Think about how you would respond to the problem of pain and suffering in the life of someone Let's pray together. God, as we come to you in this word of prayer, we know that there is pain and suffering that surrounds us every single 
today. We know that we deal with pain and suffering in our lives, that our family and our friends deal with pain and suffering in their lives, God, and that we're all looking for answers to questions that have no easy answers. So God, my prayer for us throughout this season of Lent here at Melbourne Heights is that you bless us as we try to work out our faith with fear and trembling together. Help us as we ask those difficult questions and try to find answers that are both practical and personal for us. Because God, the time will come when every single one of us will journey through some pretty dark shadows. So help us learn to journey through those shadows as we continue to carry your light. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, hey, it's Adam again, and I just want to thank you for tuning in to this episode of our sermon podcast. And I hope that this sermon has challenged you to start thinking about how you would respond to the problems of pain and suffering in this world. And I do hope that you spend some time this week thinking about the story of Claudia Claxton, imagining that you were one of her friends going to visit her in the hospital as she's battling Hodgkin's disease. And I want you to spend some time really thinking about what you would say to her to bring her a little bit of comfort and to give her a little perspective on everything that she's going through. Now, like I said, at the end of the sermon, we're going to look at what Claudia's real friend said to her when they went and visited. And we're going to learn from the mistakes that they made. Because the reality is that sometimes when it comes to trying to answer questions that have no easy answers, we come up with some pretty bad answers along the way. So we hope that you'll come back and join us when our next episode drops next Tuesday to see what we can learn from the mistakes that Claudia's friends made. And don't forget that you can always join us online to worship on Sunday mornings. You don't have to wait till next Tuesday to hear our next sermon. You can join us on our church website at mhbclouisville.com slash live. We would love to have you with us. Well, until next time, I hope that you guys have a great week. I will be praying for you, and we'll see you back here soon for another sermon podcast. Podcast.